Welcome to Try, Try Again with Catherine Velez, a podcast dedicated to relationships, one with yourself and others. Let's start with a meditation using your imagination. Imagine you feel better. What does your life look like? And what does it feel like? How would it feel to be internally at peace regardless of what happens externally? How might it feel to know you're loved and you are worthy of love regardless of the messages you have received from yourself or others? I would ask you to stop this podcast right now and spend some time imagining the life you think you want. What would have to change? Is there a visual that comes to mind for you? What are you thinking and feeling? Be specific. When you're ready, turn the podcast back on and continue. This is the journey of self-exploration. And in this journey, I believe it's important to explore not only the spiritual and emotional, but also the physiological and academic Knowing the why of your body and brain can help explain the why of your thoughts and feelings and actions. Knowledge is power, and the more knowledge we have about our bodies and our brains, the more power we have to actually change our lives in meaningful and profound ways. Let's start by looking at the unhealthy habits and coping skills you might currently rely on. How often have you thought, I shouldn't have that drink. I shouldn't look at porn on the computer or gamble or game for so many hours. I shouldn't eat that. And despite having those thoughts, very logical, very true, how often do you proceed with the behavior and have the drink or the donut or view the online porn or gamble? Why do you do it? How do you explain to yourself that you know better And yet you still do things that are not good for you or harm you and your relationships. Again, if you need to pause this podcast and think about the answer to that question, please do. It's important. So why do you do things you know are not good for you? Maybe in thinking about this question, you came to the conclusion that it's a habit. It makes you feel good. Maybe, as many people do who regularly feed their brains negative messages, maybe you decided it was a weakness in your character, or you just don't have enough willpower. You're not strong enough. Now, I want you to erase those negative thoughts about self. Decisions and habits are formed through emotion. Memory is connected to emotion. If you want to remember something, connect it to an emotion. If you've ever heard of Freud's pleasure principle, you know he stated, as human beings, we instinctively seek out the things that are pleasurable and avoid things that are painful. This is important in understanding our behaviors that occur in spite of logically knowing what's best for us. Let's look at the role your physiology plays in this and how the brain works, and as in prior podcasts, how that ties into habits. The neocortex is about 80% of our brains. It's the part of the brain where the executive function lies. It's the place of logic and language and logical learning. 
deeper inside the brain is the mammalian brain or the limbic system, and it's responsible for the pain and pleasure instincts, memories, habits. And below that in the back is the reptilian brain, and it's responsible for our autonomic systems like breathing and heartbeats. It's also part of our survival mechanism, our fight or flight. And while all of these parts of the brain are definitely interconnected, they can also operate seemingly independently. We often turn to things like alcohol or pot or porn or overeating as a way of dealing with stress. And two things very important to know. Trauma is not what happened to you, but it's how your nervous system, your brain and body responded and reacted to the event. Additionally, stress is a body response to difficult emotions. Stress is not the emotion. It is the reaction, your body's reaction to the strong emotion. Now remember those two things as we go along. In the limbic system, the emotional center of the brain, there's something called the thalamus. Now the thalamus is crucial for perception. 98% of all sensory input, what our senses tell us is happening, is relayed and processed through the thalamus. It captures all the information about everything that's happening around and within us, and it's very important in regulating our nervous system. Another part of the limbic system is the amygdala. The amygdala is like a burglar alarm. It drives the fight-or-flight response in the body, and it also has a role in memory. So the thalamus is saying, hey, I'm seeing this man walk into the office. He has a shaved head and is wearing a red flannel shirt and blue jeans. The thalamus delivers all the information, what we're seeing and smelling and hearing, to the amygdala. The amygdala, as the burglar alarm in this system, has to make a decision about whether this man might be dangerous to us and whether it should sound the alarm. The amygdala relies on the hippocampus, where past memories are stored, to determine if this man is going to hurt us. If, in our experience, a man in a red flannel shirt has hurt us, the hippocampus will inform the amygdala and the amygdala will sound the alarm. And when that alarm is sounded in the brain, we go right into the reptilian brain and fight or flight. As we talked about before, when that happens, our breathing usually becomes more shallow, our muscles tense, our heart beats faster, all the cortisol, which is a stress hormone, and adrenaline is released in our system. We access all the extra glucose in our system because we need that extra energy to either try to run away or fight. When we discover the man is not a danger to us, cortisol and adrenaline start to decline. Our breathing becomes deeper and more regulated. Our heartbeat slows. Our muscles relax. And at that point, we're able to access our neocortex a little bit better. How often have you been in a stressful situation and then an hour or so later or maybe a day or so later when you're able to relax, you say, gosh, I wish I had said this or I wish I had done that. Much of that is because you're thinking about it and relaxed. You're in your logical brain, your neocortex. The reason the hippocampus and amygdala see this man as a threat in the red flannel shirt because logically, you know that a man in a red flannel shirt is not always dangerous, but somewhere in your past, that used to be true. Let's say that this man in your past was abusive to you, and it's one of the things with memory that you recall. It used to be true that a red flannel shirt caused you pain, but it's not true anymore. That hypervigilance protected you at one time. It was a physiological response to guarantee your survival. It was important that you connect those things to try to protect yourself, but it's not true anymore. 
And you need to train your brain and your body to recognize that. Sometimes when we have repeated and severe trauma in our childhood, as I've talked about before, we get stuck in that fight or flight. We become hypervigilant because we recognize unconsciously and through the thalamus, amygdala, and hippocampus that we must always be on guard. Everyone and everything is a potential threat. Every setting is a potential threat because we learned that nobody will protect us and we have to protect ourselves somehow. If we never deal with the emotions behind what happened, we're stuck in this way. Often we end up staying too long in a place that no longer serves us. It's also why we might crave sugar, alcohol, food, because as a child, if we were placated with foods and sweets, if candy was used to calm our strong emotions, and we associated that with happy and regulation or calm, then as an adult, we may do the same thing overeating, relying on sugar, using alcohol, which of course is all sugar. We are also in the reptilian brain, the automatic. We crave glucose. And how often have you been in that autopilot feeling as you overeat or drink or smoke or view porn? Also, I think it's worth mentioning trauma affects people differently. Responses vary. Sometimes people are unwilling or unable to acknowledge the impact of their trauma. Sometimes we struggle in remembering details or events. That can be accounted for because sometimes in trauma we disassociate. We shut down those emotions. We don't want to feel this. And because that emotion is shut down, often the memory of it may be obscured or not seem retrievable, at least in conventional ways. I'm not talking about false memories or amnesia or anything like that. I'm talking about the mind's really miraculous ability to help us avoid the pain and emotion of life. So please don't be afraid because maybe you don't remember specifics or specific feelings. That may have been your brain and body's way of protecting you. When we're in the reptilian brain and the limbic system, we're cut off from the neocortex. Now, first responders and military personnel often have training they can rely on that overrides that usual automatic response. doesn't mean they're not afraid. It just means their training kicks in, and that's what training is for. If you think about your day, you probably do many things automatically. You get in the shower, you get ready for work, you go to your job, you come home, you make dinner. These are typically habits, ways we have trained our brain that provide some relief. These habits mean we don't have to think about everything in detail and make decisions about every single thing. The danger zone for most of us is when we are left alone with our thoughts, maybe at the end of the day. We completed everything we need to do, and we're sitting with our thoughts and our emotions and our feelings. This is often a time when we feel our feelings, and if we've learned to avoid that, If we've made a habit of turning to certain external methods to cope and relax, that's often when we make those choices we intellectually know are not serving us. I hope that this explains why even though logically in your neocortex, you're thinking, I shouldn't have that bottle of wine this evening. But our limbic and reptilian brain override logical thinking and logical learning because we want to avoid the pain of sitting with those ruminations, that anxiety, that uncertainty, that boredom, those emotions that tend to bubble up when our mind and body are not otherwise engaged. 
if you remember from prior podcasts, we talked about how it can take anywhere from 20 to 200 plus days to create a habit. This is not an easy process and it is not for the faint of heart. To do this, you must be willing to face your demons and your past and your emotions. And you have to be willing to sit sometimes in the pain. That is what I'm asking you to do. I often think we don't reach this until it becomes too painful to stay where we are. So I want to give you some things you can turn to in these moments. Number one, get into your neocortex. As you draw in deep breaths, imagine calming the emotional center of your brain and using your breath to access the logical part. Take in full body, front and back, deep controlled breaths and release them with control and precision. Calming through breathing is one of the best ways to stay in relaxed body and brain state. Imagine not needing to shut off those emotions, but knowing you can feel them and they don't hurt like they did. Imagine where those anxious voices might come from and why these emotions and feelings are coming up for you. One of the most difficult parts of this work is allowing yourself without the protection of maladaptive coping skills or unhealthy skills to sit with the emotion, with the difficult thought or the strong negative emotion. I often encourage clients to use the practice of a Subha Kamathana. Kamathana is the classic technique of meditation. And a Subha, I just like that word, <laughs> it, it means the unbeautiful, the loathsome, the disagreeable. So it literally means to meditate on, examine, and observe the very feelings and thoughts we find difficult, like shame and anger and guilt. This process will help us to find relief. Buddhist teachings and the book, there's a book uh, called No Worries by Luang Por Liem, uh, who teaches us, he's a, a Buddhist monk, and it teaches us we need to observe things in ourselves, especially the, the hard things, the negative things, in the way one observes wild animals in the jungle. Because they'll try to avoid us, they'll try to hide from us, like our strong emotions and memories sometimes try to hide from us. So we have to approach them in a quiet, without reaction, simply sitting and observing. No judgment, only curiosity. In this way, we see their nature and their habits. And we approach our own work the same way. We keep looking and examining and sitting with it. When we do this, we'll see our fears and weaknesses and why we do what we do. As Buddhist teachings reveal, the work we are doing must be like planting a tree. We dig a hole, we plant the tree, we water it, we fertilize it. And that is really our breathing and setting time for our meditation and our practice. And we do this and the tree will grow. How the tree grows is its own business. We don't have to worry about that. It's not our responsibility. Let it grow and observe what comes from that growth. Once you've become comfortable in this practice using your breathing, you'll be able to access the neocortex of the brain and make logical sense of how to respond to your emotions and your past, and what to do with these thoughts and feelings. But first, you have to examine them without judgment and get to know the why behind what is happening in your body and brain and unhealthy habits and desires. Also, ground yourself to the here and now. You're perfectly safe. 
And you know that because you can look at what is around you in this moment. You can hear the sounds. And this, you can smell the smells that are present. You can feel that which is touching you, the chair, the ground under your feet, the sand, grass, whatever's touching you in this moment. I also encourage you to find a trained and licensed professional to help you process the emotion and how it has affected your decision-making, your habits, and how it's apparent in your life choices. In this case, I would not recommend a life coach or someone in that category. I really encourage you to find someone who has training and is licensed to do this work with you. And lastly, take a few minutes again at the end of this podcast and imagine what your life will be like, what it will feel like when you make the changes you want and need to make. Perhaps Look forward and then back. Very often, imagining the life you want will lead you to the steps you need to take now to get there. It's kind of like looking at a map and charting the best course to get somewhere. See if this image differs from the imagining you had at the beginning of the podcast. And as always, you can reach me at my website, katherinekempvelez.com. Have a week filled with meaning and love.